Hey everyone, welcome back to the channel. My name is Seem Lund and this is my wife Inka. Uh, last week we talked about a particular study that uh, showed what was the like the main diet of the Okinawans during the times that they did live longer and what is the difference with uh, what they nowadays eat and the Western influences. We did get a lot of different qu comments on that video as well about... Um, yeah, obviously it's not like a perfect study and uh, we don't actually know exactly what the uh, Okinawans uh, ate. Uh, what we do know is that, yeah, like nowadays they just eat a lot more of these, you know, Western processed uh, influenced foods that uh, tend to have a lot more fats and uh, more processed uh, food intake. Yeah, there were actually very good comments and I encourage for people if they are interested in learning about this longevity diet, really go and do their research. The, um, I think we should all always keep in mind that when we look at whatever individual dietary pattern, it's the studies are epidemiological. There is not like controlled research trials. We do them retrospectively, retrospectively often. Mm. So you you may get researchers looking at the data from some I don't know statistical database from fifty years ago, and of course. Um, how they were reporting at the diet at the time um, were not accurate. There might be some falsification, fabrication, even we don't know about those things. So we just basically looked into one article, keep in mind, uh, we didn't do a big literal review. Mm. And uh, most likely no one at the time really ate precisely in, in that way. Because what they do is they look at the big population data and what is the mainstream diet and who lived longer mm, what yeah. is the association there yeah and i think that you know one key idea is still that you know they they did live or the, a lot of those health benefits of their longevity came from the period of the war where there were like food shortages and they didn't eat probably that many calories and they ate uh, yeah like just less which uh like yeah it's probably one of the biggest um contributors to uh, that and uh, of course the food quality was better as well but uh, from the yeah like a lifespan aspect then uh, just the calorie moderation is probably the key aspect so it, you, you can probably see like very different results or like I think you probably see like very similar results or results on a somewhat different diet uh, if the calories were to be controlled and like the food quality was somewhat around the same maybe the macros were a bit would be different but the food quality of you know whole foods and uh, minimally processed tends to be the main commonality of uh, all these diets that have health benefits and mm. longevity benefits mm. and you know if you're interested in these longevity diets then definitely look into the research in you know well the blue zone diets but also mind diet mediterranean type diet dash diets Mm. And just like um, overall picture is always the best picture. Yeah. And we just wanted to, I guess, address the fact that, you know, we are doing research for our books at the moment. Mm -hmm. And then we bring these insights, what we find is not a comprehensive view yet on. And it, it will be then reviewed in the book. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll talk about that uh, later in this uh, episode, but uh, before that, we'll start with probably the biggest news of the week or month or even like the year <laughs> in terms of, um, I don't know, supplement, the supplement world and the biohacking world, which would be that um, the FDA, the US FDA has uh, 
came, came out with a statement that said that they're going to ban the use of uh, nicotinamide mononucleotide or NMN as a dietary supplement. So they claim that it's not, uh, it doesn't meet the definitions of a dietary supplement. And uh, yeah, many people think that it leads to the road where they have to need like a prescription to use it. You have to get like a prescription from a doctor to use NMN. And uh, yeah, like I also made a video about it explaining and uh, pretty much the uh, FDA wasn't like really interested in NMN up until the point where this company Metrobiotech uh, came out or they actually Metrobiotech, which is this company that uh, creates their own NMN. It's like a beta NMN, like a so crystallized version of it, which called MIB626. And, uh, crystal element. Crystallized, oh, crystal <laughs> and um, yeah, they uh, pretty much came out with their own form of NMN that uh, they did some studies with, showed improvements in, in people. And uh, actually, the, the Metrobiotic itself was the company that wanted FDA to regulate NMN and uh, take it off the market and turn it into a pharmaceutical because they have their own patented version of the beta NMN. And last year in 2021 already, the Metrobiotech, you know, pretty much filed uh, like application or a statement to FDA that uh, they want the NMN to be turned into like a pharmaceutical drug, basically, and to take it off the market. So, which is like pretty like a bad move. Or uh, does like, this company work with uh, with hospitals or like... no? Not that I'm aware of. Like, it's a privately owned company, and okay. uh, there are like different scientists involved with it. Uh, David Sinclair is also part of it. And yeah, like many people think that, uh, yeah, just that the Metrobiotech is undermining all the other NMN companies to kind of, kind of like purify the competition or to exterminate mm-hmm. the competition so that they would have the patent for the MIB626 and they would have the, you know, FDA's approval that, yeah, it's a pharmaceutical drug and they can probably, they're the only ones that can pretty much sell it, which is a pretty much, a, yeah, pretty like a cutthroat <laughs> move if it is a case. Now, in my opinion, uh, NMN, there's nothing about NMN that would make it turn in or that would uh, make it a pharmaceutical drug. It is What's a, the definition? Uh, I'm not exactly sure, but I mean, uh, you can first of all find NMN in a food, which is one of the definition of a dietary supplement. So if you can find it in a food, then based on FDA's words, then uh, it should be a dietary supplement, which you can do with um, NMN. You can't find the beta NMN from uh, food. Mm. So that is, yeah, like a pharmaceutical, but uh, regular NMN that you can buy from the store or the yeah Amazon or wherever, you can find NMN in foods. Your body can, yeah, get it from in foods, but with small amounts. So to get like this therapeutic effects that they use in studies and the shows improvements in like insulin sensitivity and Alzheimer's and uh, other aspects of uh, aging, then uh, yeah, you need to supplement. It's not like a miracle drug in the sense that it doesn't like cure aging. <laughs> it just improves like markers of metabolic health and uh, some of the hallmarks of aging, like insulin sensitivity and those kind of things. And um, there's also the issue that most of these NMN products that you do find on Amazon, they're they don't have even NMN at all. <laughs> so they're like these fake products, mm-hmm. uh, like um, that try to scam you and they sell they either have like very little NMN or not at all. And there was like one Chromatex, which uh, sells nicotinamide riboside, true niogen, which is also like, 
raises energy levels. Uh, they did like a study maybe like last year or two years ago that uh, showed that yeah, 90, 90% of the NMN on Amazon like doesn't have like almost any NMN at all or it's very underdosed. And like mm-hmm. a two of the two main companies that did have the exact NMN that they labeled was do not age and uh, alive by science. So yeah, there is a lot of like shady things about the most conventional NMN products out there that yeah, they're like fake products. Uh, scam products uh, and um, now with like this F- FDA ban you could expect yeah like at least that uh, the products that you get would be the NMN that you actually get but uh, regardless I don't think that it's justified to like ban regular NMN from um, being sold as a dietary supplement so you shouldn't need like a prescription for it the safety data in humans is already the, here be, as well yeah what would even be the the reason to prescribe an nm it's like it's like oh you're aging so, <laughs> so everyone would need it from their doctor yeah. but uh, well i mean yeah like it's it would be prescribed for what the studies sh- say that it's uh, good for so such as insensitivity or alzheimer's or cognitive decline something like that mm. um so yeah like you wouldn't get it for your from your doctor if you say that you feel tired or something like that mm. uh, you would have to actually have like some probably symptoms and uh, diag- diagnosis of those things and i mean like most doctors probably don't even know what nmn is so um it's a pretty um still very new in that sense so what i think you know do in- they have these big trials in which they actually look at some clinical population like diabetics or uh, people with cognitive decline and use an nmn and uh, uh, human trials are probably they have human I trials think. with NMN, a few of them, uh, and at least like in the insulin sensitivity, they did mm-hmm. use, they did see the improvement in diabetics. Uh, in the uh, Alzheimer's, they have only like a mouse study or mice studies that I've seen, um, but it's promising to also you know apply to humans. But it's yeah, like it's still very new. Like this, the NMN as a supplement uh, is still relatively new and out there for uh, maybe like only a few years or with, where he has has been uh, studied more thoroughly but long story short yeah you know right now fda say that they will uh, forbidden the sale of uh, nmn as a dietary supplement most of the uh, uh or at least like asked i asked do not age and they said that they don't know anything about that they have to take off their uh, nmn from sale um let's hope that it doesn't mean that let's hope that it only applies to the beta nmn so the mib66 and let's hope that the regular nmn would be uh still available but the worst case scenario is yeah that it's like a nuked (laughs) from uh all places and funny enough that this same thing happened actually in 2020 or or 2021 i'm not sure when the nac had a similar thing so nicotine pretty much went through the same process that uh, the FDA wanted to ban it from uh, sold as a dietary supplement from Amazon and Amazon actually did take it off for a little while but then uh, all these other like organizations or something like uh, filed a complaint against that and now you can still get NAC mm. as a supplement as a dietary supplement as from wholesale uh, well even if this FDA thing went through do you think it would apply to Europe as well, or would it be just an United States thing? Because right now, you know, the age is at UK, right? Yeah, right now it would apply only to US, I mm. guess, and uh, Europe. 
um, right now Europe doesn't have the same, they're still like a separate entity, but I mean, sometimes they do listen <laughs> to what the FDA mm -hmm. says, but, uh, but at, other, at other times Europe also is more uh, independent in other regards, like glyphosate and other, like a lot of these pesticides and chemicals are banned in the Europe, whereas they're allowed in the US. So mm -hmm. uh, yeah, they're still separate, the EU and uh, US FDA. Mm. Um, I don't think, yeah, like I think uh, the EU probably isn't being lobbied the same way as the FDA with with the Metropatic mm. <laughs> right now, uh, which could be the case in the FDA uh, example. And uh, there are like some people who, or some organizations, I'm not, don't remember exact name of them, who have already filed against the NMN ban as well. Mm. So yeah, like it could probably yeah, get better or it could be probably uh, preventable, the ban that could come. But mm -hmm. uh, in the worst case scenario, it could take effect. But I, I think there's just not, if yeah, people make more noise about it and more like these other organizations make complaints, etc. then uh, I think they would win. Like there's no, like if you look into like the more details of it, then all the reasons behind, there's no, there's no like reason to not sell NMN as a dietary supplement. Mm. Mm. Uh, are there any other similar compounds that are actually found in food that are still or are considered as pharmaceuticals? Um, not, like on the top of my head, I can't. Uh, really well, I don't. I don't know exactly. Yeah, like mm. you can get NMN from food, but I mean there are actually other supplements mm. that could fit this definition and not be sold as a dietary supplement uh, but they're still uh, on sale and they don't have like any FDA cases right now so like calcium alpha-glutarate uh, you can't get it from food and uh, you can produce it only with like exercise and uh, the calcium alpha-glutarate levels do decrease with age or sorry AKG mm. alpha-glutarate levels decrease with age you produce it with exercise and the calcium alpha-glutarate uh, supplementation has been found to, or it actually has one of the few supplements that has been actually shown to reverse biological age in humans. So mm -hmm. uh, in, I guess, uh, late 2021, there was one study that showed that they, using the calcium alpha-glutarate supplement for like seven months, reduced the participants' biological age by eight years. So, uh, which is like pretty damn impressive. And, um, you know, there is no FDA ban on that right now mm. because probably Metrobiotic hasn't <laughs> made their own uh, version Don't of it. Don't tell them. <laughs> yeah. Don't tell them about this. Uh, but uh, they haven't realized it yet. Yeah, yeah. But I, I take calcium alpha-glutarate. I take NMN as well. Yeah, and, me too. Yeah. And yeah, like based on the evidence, then uh, NMN works more if you're like older and if you have like some metabolic diseases or metabolic uh, shortage in terms of your mm. you know insulin sensitivity and those kind of things but uh, I take it mostly for I take it mostly for yeah like raising my NAD levels when I need them so like if I'm mm, slightly sleep deprived or if I'm circadian rhythm mismatch or uh, yeah something like that mm. yeah I don't need it every day for sure mm. yeah mm. I mean and it's yeah I don't think there is a reason why there's no like, yeah, uh, harmful effects that we have seen in humans. Mm. So, but 
but yeah, I think I take it more of as a yeah, like a why not <laughs> thing. Uh, but if if uh, let's say they do ban it, then before they do, then I'll make sure that I definitely buy a lot of NMN <laughs> into into the into the the uh, drawers and uh, they need a new cupboard. Yeah. <laughs> but if they do ban it, then you can still obviously make NAD with exercise, with intermittent fasting and um, mm. calorie restriction, as well as um, you can still take like, probably you can get like trunagen, which is the nicotinamide riboside, and uh, niacinamide NAM is uh, another NAD precursor mm. that di drives into actually the salvage pathway, which is actually what you want more than uh, NMN or nicotinamide riboside. So you want to have the salvage pathway working uh, all the time in terms of you know, sustainability. I wonder if actually tryptophan supplementation would increase it as well. Mm, maybe. Because, yeah, I mean, tryptophan goes into kinu... How do you pronounce? Um, Kai... I'm not sure how you... What, what is it? <laughs> I wrote it down because you can cut this out. Kainurenine. <laughs> Say it again. So, I wonder if um, tryptophan supplementation would also increase NAD because tryptophan, when it goes to the brain, it goes into the 5-HT pathway, but also the kinurenine pathway. Mm. Most of the tryptophan goes there, and the end product is NAD. Mm. Interesting. I haven't looked into it if like a tryptophan would increase NAD, mm. like supplementation, but it would be cool to check out. It might, mm. but. Um... There's probably some like organ differences as well, or lo location differences. Like mm. NAD in the brain may not be the same as NAD in the muscles or some other place. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's interesting. Mm. And um, yeah, the NMN has brain benefits as well, which uh, we might like uh, look more into when we're writing our book as well, mm. which uh, uh, is going to be focused more on the brain and uh, aspects of brain aging and uh, brain function. Yeah, and how to build a super brain, <laughs> improve cognition. Yes. I mean, brain is like, you know, body and muscles. It's not all about preventive declining. It's actually you can improve it quite a lot mm. during your life and you can make sure that it functions op optimally and the uh, you have a neurotransmitter balance and you are regenerating it all the time and mm. yeah yeah absolutely and uh in in some ways you know it's also like your quality of life or if uh, for sure if you i mean if you're like old and you don't have the cognition or you get alzheimer's even if you live to like 110 but um you haven't because i think those things are really separate so you're like your body your body's longevity the trajectory can be different from your brain's longevity trajectory. So mm -hmm. you can get, you can, yeah, like your physiologically, you could live to, let's say, 110, but you could still get Alzheimer's at like 80 mm -hmm. and therefore die sooner. So, uh, or get like the memory loss and things like that from that. So I think that, yeah. And you, vice versa. You can have very sharp brain, but your body just. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And uh, the obviously those things are used tend to be together that if you have Alzheimer's and you probably have like some other health issues as well uh, and vice versa but uh, but yeah like uh, 
they're like different kind of aging systems in my opinion and uh, optimally you need to still make you know the best of both and take care of a brain proactively or as as good as you do with the uh the body and uh your like organism aging mm. so uh today we wanted to uh focus a lot or a little bit on brain and insulin mm. uh, because uh, obviously insulin gets a lot of like bad press <laughs> or like bad uh bad rap, yeah. bad rap on the social media because of uh, associations with uh, diabetes and uh, weight gain which i think are a bit over exaggerated because insulin as a hormone is quite important so um, obviously yeah, excess insulin uh, production can lead to insulin resistance and uh, diabetics usually have insulin resistance but uh, yeah insulin is number one it's still like the one, most powerful anabolic hormone in the body that helps to drive protein synthesis and mTOR activation and uh, yeah insulin also has like other roles in terms of uh, thyroid function leptin sensitivity brain function and brain health that we'll cover shortly so yeah what insulin does is you know as a hormone it helps to shuttle glucose into the cells and uh, yeah when it attaches to like or when it helps with like muscles then uh, it shuttles like glucose into the muscle cells that's stored as glycogen and turn on protein synthesis and helps to yeah build lean tissue which is obviously good in uh, some aspects but uh, yeah there's also you know in excess or uh, the like frequency of how often you stimulate insulin and um, how it affects your other biomarkers in in the na- in the negative side yeah insulin can like accelerate aging as well and uh, give you you know some metabolic syndrome or diabetes but um, as a hormone itself it's still like essential or yeah needed mm, i mean we wouldn't probably produce it yeah. <laughs> if, if it wasn't needed everything that the human body does usually serves a purpose mm. and um, yeah when does insulin rise uh, well insulin rises when uh, you pretty much consume things that raise your blood sugar so uh, carbohydrates and uh, protein even does it as well. So the higher the glycemic index of the food, then the the higher your blood sugar is going to rise and your body will then produce insulin from the pancreas. Mm-hmm. So that, that then uh, the goal of the insulin is to, yeah, to shuttle the glucose into the cells to lower the blood sugar levels. Yeah, so it travels in the surface of the cell and opens sort of like the gates yeah, the or opens the, opens the lock in this sense. And if you're mm-hmm. insulin resistant, then the locks are like, we're full, we don't want any more <laughs> of the glucose. Mm-hmm. Or they don't just it, respond. Um, like They're just uh, irresponsive because of having become insulin resistant from too much stimulation. Yeah, so it's just uh, like the glucose just stays circulating in your bloodstream. And of course, this then is what you measure with yeah. the blood glucose testing. You can see that, oh, my blood sugar is very high. So the insulin was not enough. To, or it, it wasn't effective to help the glucose go into where it's supposed to go to the target tissue. Mm-hmm. And you actually started using the CGM. Yeah, you can see it through my shirt here, actually. <laughs> so there it is. Um, it's with the, with the very app again, or like uh, the freestyle Libre sensor. So it's the clinical. Yeah, and uh, what have you noticed this time? Uh, this th- my insulin has or my blood glucose have been very stable now. Um, so I've been using uh, apple cider vinegar pretty much all the time, mm. and um, also doing these um, 
exercises before and after food. We can maybe go into more of the details on how to keep it in balance afterwards. But it's been very good. It's actually previously I haven't gone much hypo mm. during the night, and now it has happened. I started just a few days ago, and almost every night I go hypo. Mm. So I don't know what that is like. Why does that happen? But I think also because in the evenings I'm not going up to the dinner. I'm not going uh, very high with my blood glucose. Hmm. No, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. So mm, I, I sleep very well. I mean, I've been <laughs> sleeping, you know, eight hours, nine hours a night, and mm-hmm. not waking up at the middle of the night. So gotcha. And uh, so, well, like, how, how does the incident affect the brain? So we uh, that's what we're going to cover in the book. But let's uh, maybe give a brief, like, uh, overarching view on that. Yeah, I mean, this is so interesting because, of course, insulin is usually always talked about in the sense of diabetes or muscle growth or body. But many people don't realize that insulin has a lot to do with the brain health and that the brain is basically you need to also have insulin sensitive brain for health benefits. So unlike in the body, insulin in the brain does not transport glucose into the cells. Mm. Uh, there are mainly GLUT1 and GLUT3 receptors in the brain. Uh, there are very dense amount of insulin receptors in the hypothalamus, which is the key part of the HBA stress axis in the body, also regulating food intake. And then there is a lot of receptors around the cortex, and especially in these pathways that are important for memory, learning, uh, brain growth and regeneration. Mm-hmm. So insulin basically attaches to the receptors and it modulates neurotransmitters and other like neuropeptides and other pathways that has different effects in the brain. It has many, many roles in the brain. So like a few key ones would be, I think, first of all, is the maintaining brain structure. So it really helps to build the functional part of the brain cells, dendrites, mm. and just regenerate the brain. Neuroplasticity, learning, memory, mm. that's very important. Um, then there is um, the synth, it helps to synthesize, or it's needed, it's actually key in synthesizing cholesterol in the brain. Mm. So the data seems to suggest that actually cholesterol from the bloodstream doesn't enter to the brain. Mm. The brain creates its own cholesterol. Wow. And why do you want to? Create cholesterol in the brain. It's like one of the key things that you need to have in your brain. So like eating cholesterol doesn't necessarily like... Or will, will eating cholesterol then like improve your brain health or uh, or the brain will make the cholesterol it needs even if you don't eat any cholesterol? Or Yeah, like uh, I guess um, th- wh- what I read, what I understood or what I got out of the studies by that you kind of need these precursors of cholesterol into the brain. So these Mm. are these small uh, fat or lipid Mm -hmm. particles. And that is something that can be transported into the brain. You need the precursors there. But what you actually need for the cholesterol production in the brain is not eating a bunch of cholesterol, but actually having insulin. So cholesterol is pretty much key when you want to build this myelin, white matter. So myelin, so you have a brain cell, which you have the soma, or the body of the brain cell, and then you have the branch that delivers the message to all the other brain cells. Mm. And that is surrounded by myelin, which is like the insulation, like you have, like you see in the electrical cords, it's the plastic insulation. So it's this fat layer around the axon. 
And when you have it, the signals travel fast because it's electricity. If you have this kind of gaps in the fat layer, in the white matter, then it kind of jumps and it's slower. This is what we see, for example, in MS disease, that the fat layer is starts to degrade mm-hmm. and everything starts to be a bit slower. So you really need that to insulate the brain cells. And um, then besides this cholesterol and memory, insulin is important for neurotransmitters. It's actually shown that insulin is needed for dopamine production. It mm-hmm. modulates all the, the balance of neurotransmitters, basically. But there is a link between insulin resistance in the brain mm-hmm. and depression and less dopamine. Mm. So you're not that efficient in producing these key neurotransmitters if you are insulin resistant. Um, besides that, there is insulin, like central insulin. That's what it's referred when it's in the brain, central insulin and peripheral in the body. Mm-hmm. Central insulin actually modulates the blood glucose levels in the periphery. So, and it can have both effects. If you are hypoglycemic, then it helps to increase the blood sugar. If you are hyperglycemic, it helps to lower it. But mainly, it, especially when it's affecting the hypothalamus, it helps to control food desires. And um, it does, like, improve your satiety feelings, uh, insulin in the brain does reduce your desires to snack. Mm. It's shown. And really? yeah, and yeah, there are these, they have done studies in which they give intranasal insulin to people mm-hmm. and then they offer them desserts and everything, even longer trials as well for like a few weeks or four weeks. And they see how much they eat and yeah how much they snack and how much they have this food desire especially for obese individuals Mm -hmm. which i guess then would already have some sort of insulin resistance as baseline um it seems to really lower the food intake Mm. and positively affect weight as well in one study that was mainly found in men actually or no actually okay so i found two two kind of research Mm -hmm. one is was that there is a sex difference Mm. So if you give it to normal weight men versus normal weight women, then it would lower food desires and improve body composition, make them lose weight, usually in men, Mm. but not in women. But then when they compared obese women to normal women or to men, then the effect was seen also in obese women. Mm -hmm. So I guess... They suggest that there is some sort of a sex difference in the baseline insulin, you know, re- reactions in the in the brain mm-hmm. for men and women, but also that, you know, for obese individuals, it would be even more important to get insulin sensitive or get back that insulin sensitivity right. in the brain as well. And right. that would be beneficial for the body composition. Um, I would assume that in these studies where they see this obese versus lean Defense. So, for example, in this study, they looked at obese women, normal weight women, and see how much they ate cookies, dessert cookies, and mm-hmm. calories, and how much they reported the food desire. The baseline was that the obese individuals had increased food intake, had more desires for desserts. And the lean individuals didn't even have these desires mm-hmm. or um, this food intake. So I guess this was this would suggest that they were at the beginning being begin with 
alkaline individuals made more more insulin sensitive in the brain. Mm-hmm. And then when they intranas- intranasally administered insulin to the obese individuals, it kind of normalized, mm. or or there were just more insulin, you know, available in the brain as well, right? Uh, which would have helped them control their food intake and desire. Why do why do you think that is? Why does in- insulin help with the food control? Well, it increases the satiety hormones mm-hmm. release in the brain, and it also helps with actually distributing um, the. Well, I don't know if that is related that much to food intake or like the desire. I think uh, the main benefit comes from the increase in the in satiety hormones in the body and maybe lowering stress actually because yeah. it does affect the HPA axis and lower stress. Yeah. So that might be one. And then why does the weight improvement come is that insulin actually affects on how your body distributes fat. So mm. if you are more insulin resistant, the body is more likely to store fat in your abdominal area. Mm. And that's also mediated by the brain somehow. Mm. So in the study where they looked at men versus we- women and the men lost weight, they also lost inches in their in their waist. Mm. And get uh, got a increase like over one kilo increase in their oh. <laughs> or like one kilo reduced in their weight, but then preserved muscle mass and I think nice. improvement in the muscle growth and they lost fat. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's from the satiety side, then uh, like the insulin helps with the satiety hormones. But if you're insulin resistant, then you're not producing those satiety hormones. Or if you're insulin resistant in the brain, then you're not producing those satiety hormones and you keep eating. Yeah, maybe something like this. Mm. I mean, that that what it would suggest for sure. Mm. Like the thing with the insulin and the brain is that it's the same mechanism that in the body in terms of the sensitivity. So meaning that if you have insulin available and you have the receptor, you need the receptor to be available to react to the insulin. Mm. And if it does not react to the insulin, it does not initiate all of these processes. Yeah. Or even if the, um, the other way that it can be decreased, the ability is that it does actually, that the cells somehow react, but the processes doesn't work that efficiently in the cells. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, obviously like a multifaceted problem, but um, I guess the takeaway is still that um, you will, you need to like just manage your, you know, bodily insulin sensitivity as well, and uh, overall insulin sensitivity that then, you know, just improves the insulin resistance in the brain as well. Yeah, and um, like insulin resistant, insulin resistance uh, centrally is being linked to increased risk for Alzheimer's <clears throat> and uh, memory disease and dementias. So keeping insulin sensitive body and brain mm. is very key to preventing memory diseases, for example. And, you know, Alzheimer's is, I think, justifiably called uh, type 3 diabetes. Mm-hmm. So there is, it's not like super clear yet what's the, how does the link work between central and peripheral insulin sensitivity but there is like a huge literature showing that they are usually linked somehow. Mm. But there there can be like central insulin sensitivity or resistance without the bodily or vice versa, apparently, 
or there is some evidence, but you know, mm-hmm. right? It's it's pretty hard to study in humans this um, central insulin resistance versus sensitivity. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, but I guess it's just mm, from a biomarker standpoint, then it's, it's still like the same that better blood sugar levels and uh, better hemoglobin A1C and lower insulin, fasting insulin, those things. And I mean, like the things that improve your insensitivity are probably good for the brain as well. And the brain's insensitivity, like, you know, exercise and uh, not eating too much uh, processed carbs and sugars and uh, not overeating calories and sleeping enough and, uh, Mm. you know, the same things or very similar things, at least to most of them that uh, improve insensitivity as well as make you insulin resistant are the same for the body and brain. Yeah. I mean, yeah, what we know now about the insulin sensitivity or that there is a correlation between the level blood sugar levels Mm. and um, better insulin sensitivity. Mm -hmm. But then like being low, like completely zero insulin is also obviously not ideal. Well, no, which describes insulin, yeah, insulin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, like, yeah, yeah, like you know, there's some some people still like approach it in a way that to fix insulin resistance and uh, and to not or to, people think that the insulin is bad and uh, aging you and giving you diabetes and things, so they avoid spiking insulin at all, which is not you know for the reasons, especially for the brain. Like for the body, you can probably get away with it a bit longer, uh, although your body does become insulin resistant mm-hmm. as well if you're. Uh, not ever spiking uh, insulin and eating carbs, mm. but the, for the brain, it's probably even more important to have the insulin there to uh, produce those hormones and neurotransmitters. Yeah, and I don't know. I would, I would be just like personally careful with the word spiking versus raising, mm-hmm. because I don't know if spikes are ever beneficial or do we need do we need spikes or do we just right. need to you raise just, insulin just we just it. need insulin yeah just need it in like uh, good amounts proper amounts proper yes. amounts yeah and uh, for that you know there are things that you can do to improve your insensitivity and blood sugar levels mm. so we can talk about them yeah so what do we do what do we do we have like a lot of things that we do yeah. for that we've been measuring a lot mm-hmm. and we've been trying different kinds of hacks mm. hacks and just like lifestyle things they are very minor and very yeah obviously you know the effective. main the, the main overarching things are the regular exercise mm. resistance training especially is the best thing for that some cardio uh saunas are very good for insensitivity sensitivity and saunas also are associated with like reduced alzheimer's and cognitive decline mm. um i don't know if cold improves your insensitivity uh, but I do think it lowers your blood sugar levels because it's like very intense from a form of like physiological stress. Then from a food side, then fibers, vegetables, and uh, some proteins to like balance the blood sugar response from a meal. Uh, not eat like very high glycemic carbs, or if you do, then uh, like preferably like after exercise, uh, and to also take glucose disposal agents and like blood sugar lowering. Um, supplements like apple cider vinegar isn't, isn't a supplement but uh, it does lower mm. the blood sugar quite nicely mm. uh, we got the chromium as well mm. yeah i think the big picture as you said is exercise good sleep of mm-hmm. course and balancing stress like stress has a pretty big uh, influence like these basic building blocks 
Mm. But then there is some things that you can do just before the food times, you know, mm. kind of like plan. Okay, now I'm going to eat a cake. If some, <laughs> yeah, you know, your friend baked a cake and you don't want to be like, oh, no, thanks. You know, mm-hmm. so you think like, okay, what can I do to prevent this causing cellular stress and insulin spikes and have a little bit more balanced response to that? Mm-hmm. So like before food, uh, I've noticed it's very effective for me if I do some sort of cardio. Mm. So I do... I don't know, five, ten minutes dance workout. Mm-hmm. See, see, me, see me always dancing here mm-hmm. before before food uh, or go for a little jog or just plank or mm. do a little... It doesn't have to be long. Yeah. A little so, bit of exercise and movement. So not go to eat directly from sitting at the laptop, for example. Yeah, so like, you know, to shovel glucose into the cells, you can use like insulin... As well as these, there are these different glut uh, recept- translocators, and mm-hmm. uh, your muscle cells have glut receptors. And one of the main ones is glut four, including other ones. So if you exercise, you activate the glut four receptors. They attach to the muscle cells, and they allow the glucose to go into the cell or the muscle cell mm-hmm. much faster, actually, and more efficiently than uh, like at, at rest. So like the difference is like yeah, huge uh, compared to like being sedentary and then eating carbs compared to yeah exercising slightly which activates the GLUT4 receptors and then shoveling the glucose into the cells like that because like after exercise let's say after a good resistance training weightlifting uh, session your pre- your muscles become pretty much like a uh, like an empty sponge mm-hmm. <laughs> that uh, just soaks up all the carbs and uh, it has like minimal effect on the blood sugar levels whereas if you are like sedentary and things like that you're going to have a huge spike and uh, a lot of the the blood sugar or the blood glucose is going to stay in the bloodstream for longer because there's not there's nowhere to put it mm. and there's no like transporters either to uh, mm. to transport it mm. Mm. and it doesn't have to be like anything long like, obviously yeah, if you do do lift weights then you maintain this insulin sensitivity and glut for activation for you know pretty much many hours um, whereas if you haven't done like a very heavy and a specific um, resistance training exercise then you can just do like some planks or some holds that do activate uh, the gut force as well so like mm. you can do like a plank or a horse stance or um, a few sprints or something like that so something quick it doesn't have to be like super long to have the activation but uh, like the greater the intensity of the exercise the greater the insulin sensitivities also be and uh, the longer they, the gut four receptors stay activated yeah, I feel like this was actually very common, like pre-COVID times when there was not that much distance distance work, mm-hmm. and people were at the offices, and the I was also working at the office, and the normal was that you would walk to a lunch place, mm-hmm. you would go somewhere outside, so you would already walk ten fifteen minutes before the lunch, versus now when we are working from home mostly, and mm-hmm. we are in our laptops. And then we just transfer into the mm. kitchen table. Yeah. There is not a lot of movement for the muscles to activate mm-hmm. and really use that, you know, the, that glucose for muscle growth. Instead, it's just storing up. Yeah. And um, also what I've noticed now, like what we have started doing is like if we eat, for example, dessert or something, we would also do a little walk in between mm. the main yeah. course and the dessert yeah walking after the meals also cuts the blood sugar response quite low or like half Mm. almost Mm. so yeah like even 10 or 15 minute walk 
is uh, good enough to uh, pretty much lower the blood sugar. Yeah. Um, and I wouldn't do like you know intense exercise af- after eating because it's going to disrupt the digestion and uh, it's uncomfortable. Whereas like walking is low intensity enough, but it does lower the blood sugar. Yeah. And one thing that I've noticed now, a new thing that I'm doing that I didn't do before, mm-hmm. is that I actually take ACV both, so apple cider vinegar, before the main course. And then if I eat something like uh, carbs for dessert, uh, I also take before that. Mm. Even if it's just like uh, something like berries or something. Yeah. I, I take sometimes it in between the meal. And that actually is very effective for me mm. for some reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, anything else that we want to add here right now for the brain and insulin side? There is one topic that uh, we're not going to cover today. We'll do it next time, which is a. This was like a prelude to uh, tryptophan and uh, insulin and the brain, which is important for making serotonin and melatonin as well, so improving sleep. So this is also like a very common misconception about this topic and uh yeah we'll cover it next time more specifically but mm. uh, maybe you can give like a very one to two sentence overview of that <laughs> yeah i guess the point here is uh, with the discussion of how much protein when protein and um the um, type of protein yeah the other type of protein and amino acids so all proteins are a complex mix of amino acids and different amino acids have a different kind of role in the body. So tryptophan is super important for the brain. Uh, it's important that it accesses the brain. And in the presence of certain other large neutral amino acids, there is less availability to transport tryptophan to the brain. And sometimes if you eat too much, let's say BCAAs or large neutral amino acids, uh, and you don't have carbs and you don't have um, the insulin to shuffle the BCAAs and other amino acids into the muscle, these actually access get prioritized to get the access to the brain. And the tryptophan kind of like leaves hanging there mm-hmm. and doesn't access to the brain. Yeah. And it is shown that dietary tryptophan is a very abundant source of brain tryptophan. So you kind of need to make sure that you get that tryptophan transportation to your brain because from tryptophan in the brain you make serotonin and you make melatonin Mm. so if you don't have enough tryptophan in your brain you may get sleep issues mood issues and yeah yeah basically it's just a you get a little bit less balance of the neurotransmitters Mm. in the brain yeah and uh, a lot of time people eat let's say too much PCAs or foods that have too many PCAs um, and they don't really actually sleep that well because of mm. the tryptophan competition. Mm. So we'll cover like hacks and you know the actual way to improve that and overcome that in the next show next week. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you also uh, released your podcast first episodes. Mm-hmm. So can you talk about it? What's the yeah. name of it? And uh, yeah, where can we find it? Yes, so uh, my podcast is finally out. It's called Mind and Psychology Podcast and it's going to cover a lot of topics about, well, mind and psychology. It's going to be both biological and psychological uh, topics. The first episodes are going to be about neurofeedback. 
So basically how to use this biofeedback to improve your brain functioning. It's a fun episode. We talk, uh, talk with Dr. Andrew Hill, who has done neurofeedback to biohackers and business owners, mm-hmm. as well as clinical populations like uh, people with ADHD and autism. Mm. And he talks and explains how your brain can be mapped. How can you actually analyze your brain functioning if you have stress or anxieties or sleep problems? What can you find from there? And how can you use neurofeedback to improve it? And the other episode that is out there is with Dr. Melissa Pedersen. And that is about longevity and anti-aging through epigenetics. And we talk about also the mindset aspect. So many people focus with longevity and epigenetic changes. They, people focus on supplements and exercise and sleep. We talk about how you can think basically yourself younger. Mm-hmm. cause biological changes in your genes mm-hmm. through the power of you know changing your minds mindset and through the power of thinking so they are both nice. very very cool episodes uh, a lot of information a lot of good knowledge uh, for people who want to optimize brain and mental well-being and longevity Sounds good. And uh, yeah, it's Mind and Psychology. Mind and Psychology podcast, podcast in iTunes, in Spotify, in YouTube. Uh, mm. Our your YouTube channel is still Inkaland. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, we'll, you can find it there and we'll put the links as well in the description. But uh, yeah, other than that, uh, that's it. You can uh, stay tuned for the next week's episode about tryptophan, the brain and insulin. So uh, yeah, I'll see you there. Thanks for watching. My name is Seem. I'm Inga. And uh, stay tuned for the next episode. Stay empowered.